0: Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's Sermon Podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon.
1: Enjoy. Well, today is a good day. It's a good day. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow, no other fountain I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hmm. Good job, you guys. I know you at home only heard me, and that's okay too, but what a good job, what a good job. What a good song, hey? What a good reminder for us as we begin to dig, dig into Galatians this morning. Remember that. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're going through the 21 missives or the letters of the New Testament. Letters that were written to churches. That were beginning to learn about this whole Jesus thing. And we're currently in the book of Galatians. It's one of the letters that was written by Paul, where Paul encourages the Galatian church to have faith with feet. Now, many of Paul's letters kind of follow the same pattern in the beginning, in the introduction. You can kind of look at chapter 1 of almost all of the epistles of Paul, and you can see that he begins with an introduction of himself, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or something like that, and he tells the people who he's writing to, And then he kind of talks usually about the grace of God really briefly. The grace of God be upon you. And then Paul goes into usually saying something like, I thank my God every time I think of you. Paul even says this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. And if you remember from a couple weeks ago, the Corinthian church was in pretty rough shape. In fact, as we looked at this passage of Scripture two weeks ago, uh, 1 Corinthians was written to a church that was a hot mess. They were a hot mess. There was rampant sexual immorality. Uh, There were brothers taking other brothers uh, in Christ to to court. There were people getting drunk at the Lord's table while other people around uh, were going hungry. They had many, many problems. The church was a hot mess. And the pattern in 1 Corinthians follows the usual there's an introduction, Paul talks about God's grace. And then Paul says to that hot mess of a church, I always thank God for you. Isn't that awesome? I always thank God for you. You're a hot mess right now, but I always thank God for you. Paul has got a lot of grace in him, doesn't he? So when we get to Galatians, it is notable that Paul changes things up a little bit. The first two parts of the pattern play out as he begins the book of Galatians. There's an introduction of who he is and who he's writing to. There's something about God's grace, but then Paul flips the script. And Paul says this to the church in Galatia I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. I'm astonished, Paul says. And not like I often show up with people and I'm like, I'm amazed to see you, it's so wonderful. Well, no, Paul is saying I'm astonished and it's a terrible, terrible thing that Paul is saying to the people in Galatia. While Paul's other greetings read like a, a wonderful encouragement, the greeting of Galatians comes across like a kick in the head. Oh, I'm astonished. What in the world is going on in the church in Galatia? And why does it seem like this is so much worse than what was happening in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians? Well, let's take a look. So there was this group of people called the Judaizers, and they gave Paul no shortage of problems. They were a very difficult crew, and they would follow after Paul, it seemed, to all the churches that Paul had planted. They would come after Paul had left, and they would try to sow dissent in there and division, You may have heard me talk about the Judaizers before, but these were a group of people who had converted, at least in part, to Christianity. But they were also saying that Christ was not sufficient. He was not enough. It was not enough to just have faith in Jesus Christ. In order to truly be saved, according to the Judaizers, you needed to have Jesus and the Old Testament law. You needed for sure to be circumcised. You needed for sure to follow the commandments. You had to follow all the rules, all the traditions, all the rituals. You had to do all the stuff that was required of the Old Testament and then some. Everything that had been made up by the Pharisees and all the ruling council, you had to do all these extra things in order to be saved. Jesus was not enough. The law also needed to be fully embraced. Now, before we get too high and mighty here and kind of judgmental of the the Judaizers, let's take a hard look at ourselves. Here's a question just to ask internally. Do you believe that the only thing that a person needs to to do to be saved is to trust in Jesus? Do you believe that? Just internally. I I don't need amens right now. I just need you to ask that question to yourself. No matter how terrible they are, no matter how sinful they are, no matter how wretched they are do you believe that the only thing that a person needs to be to do to be saved is trust in jesus or do you think that in order to be saved a person probably needs to get their act together a little bit do you think they need to go to the right church do you think that they need to believe the right theology what do you think about what it takes for a person to be saved Do you believe that if a person really wants to be saved and really needs to be saved, that they first need to fix their junk and then come to Jesus? Which one do you think it is? Jesus alone or Jesus and then something else? Well, don't answer out loud. The Judaizers believed that a person had to follow the Old Testament law. They believed that a person needed to have right thinking and a person needed to have right behaving. That's what the law was about. Think rightly and behave rightly, and then you will be saved. Now, right thinking and right behaving are not bad. We encourage people, actually, to have right thinking and to have right behaving. But according to the Bible, you are not saved by your right thinking or your right behaving. In fact, even believing rightly is not what actually saves you. According to God's written word, salvation comes to you by no action of your own, not by thinking rightly, not by behaving rightly, not even by believing rightly. Salvation comes to you solely as an act of receiving the free and complete grace of God made available to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and nothing else. You cannot add or take away from the power of God's gracious salvation presented to you, you can't add to it or take it away or take away from it. No one helps Jesus' gospel to be applied to your life. Nothing you do has achieved or earned this for yourself. You cannot say to Jesus or to anyone that you played any role in your salvation. It is a gift completely separate from your thinking, your behaving or your believing. Now, it is important to think, behave, and believe rightly. Of course it is. But your salvation is a gift completely separate from those things. It is 100% dependent on the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Not 99% God's job and 1% your job. Salvation is 100% the work of Jesus Christ. And that actually is an incredibly freeing truth. You didn't earn it. God's grace doesn't come to you because you are good enough. In fact, you and, our, you and I are the opposite of good enough. We were objects of wrath. We were objects of ridicule before Jesus came. But now, because of Jesus Christ, I want you to look at how Paul describes us. Because of the gift of grace that was given to us by God through his son, Jesus Christ, here's what Paul says is true of you and I. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And just a few verses later, Paul says, Because you are his sons, right? So the first verse says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. And now Paul says, Because you are children of God, his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You are an heir with Christ, not because of your work, but because of God's work. You're a son or daughter of God. You're clothed in Christ. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer an object of wrath or ridicule. You are a beloved son or daughter of God with his Spirit living inside of you. And all of this is totally separate from anything you've done. It's because of God. This is the simple gospel. It's the simple gospel. We receive it. We receive it. But we've done nothing to earn it. Now, if this is the simple gospel that you did not earn your salvation in any way, and that you are now a son or daughter of God through no effort of your own, then what happens when we continue to sin? What happens when we continue to do the things that we're not supposed to do? Well, you get a letter like the one that was written to the church in Corinth. A letter to remind you that this is not who you are. A letter to to tell you that the identity that is in you is not looking like what's happening and coming out of you. You need to change your ways. See, Paul's attitude towards the Corinthians is one of a loving father figure who has to come and teach his children right from wrong. But here in Galatians, Paul's attitude is so much sharper, so much more aggressive. And that's because the Galatians are not just entering into sin. The Galatians are perverting the simple gospel. They are making a mockery of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It's one thing to sin. It's a whole other thing to cut yourself out through your legs by your legs. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were doing that by beginning to believe the Judaizers. They were beginning to go back to the law, that thing that never would have ever saved anybody. The law was not meant to save. It was meant to point us to Jesus Christ. And they were going back to the law as if it had power to save. They were teaching others that Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, it was not sufficient it's not sufficient for salvation. And so Paul goes into to chapter three of Galatians and he has strong words for them. He says, You foolish Galatians. Now, when Paul says you foolish Galatians, it's a term that's a little bit cleaned up for us in the English. In the original Greek, it was a much stronger word, and we usually tell our kids we're not allowed to use this word. But it's the, it's the word stupid, is actually what's being said here. Paul's saying, You stupid. Galatians. I apologize, children. Paul says, You stupid Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you, and you can hear his tone in this. I'd like, just, just answer me this one question, since you're so wise and so smart in what you do. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish. Again, are you stupid? Paul goes on. After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? What an insane thing to do. Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? And what is it that they had heard? Well, it was the simple gospel. That salvation is a free gift from God. It's through Jesus Christ, and it's for each of us to receive. And it is definitely not by any work of our own. Paul says it in Ephesians, and he says it again in 1 Corinthians, and he says it in many different ways in many different places, that the gospel came by grace, so that nobody could boast so that nobody could boast, so that nobody could say that they had anything to do with their own salvation. See, you and I are utterly lost without the grace of God, without the gift of Jesus Christ. And these Judaizers had done a number on the Galatians and had them doubting the sufficiency of the crucifixion of Jesus for salvation. They didn't believe that it was enough anymore. They were trusting Not the Spirit who would kind of quicken their hearts, but their own flesh. Paul rolls this conversation into what does it look like when we do this kind of thing? What does it look like when we stop believing the Spirit who quickens us and brings life to us and points us to Jesus and begin to to trust in our flesh? What does it look like when that happens? The Galatians were not just having a problem with the sufficiency of Jesus. They were also having a problem with the end result of that kind of thinking. See, when you believe that you have to earn your salvation, you begin to rely heavily on your own works, on doing good enough, especially on doing better than the person next to you. Because if it depends on you, well, then you need to be the best of the best. You need to perform. You need to make sure that you look better than everyone around you. And we see this come up in the middle of chapter 5. Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 5, starting in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You are called to be free. That's the salvation piece. You were called to be free. And then he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. You see that? Do you see how Paul comes back to the law, not in a negative way, but in a way that helps to drive home his point? See, there are two outcomes here. If on the one hand you have to perform to earn your salvation, then you're going to depend on the flesh, and then you're going to try to do better than everybody around you. You don't want the best for the other people because you want to shine. Because Jesus needs to see something valuable in you for you to be saved. The law is all about doing better than the person around you. It's all about one upping somebody else. It's a competition. However, if your salvation is a free gift that came about by no work of your own, if it's a free gift that's given by God to everyone, if it's a free gift that does not depend on how good you are or how better you are than somebody else, then you can actually love your neighbor. You can actually want the best for them because it's no longer a competition. It's actually about just living out of the reality that's already inside of you. If you have salvation, if you have the gift of God in you by no work of your own, freely you receive, so freely you give. See, what you believe about salvation works itself out in the way that you live your life. If you believe that salvation is earned, then you're going to make everybody else earn it too. If you believe that salvation is by grace alone, oh, how wonderful is this? How gracious you can be to other people because freely you've received, freely you can give. Look at how Paul sums up the whole law. Sounds a lot like Jesus, right? The law is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. See here, in the outworking of our salvation, we actually have a role to play. We have a role to play. Now our salvation comes by grace. It's the free gift of grace from God. But the way that that's lived out through us, now, we become the people that have faith with feet. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter five verse 16, "Live by the spirit." See, now this is our action. Now that we have the Spirit, by God's free grace, live by the Spirit. Remember, this is the Spirit who is in you, not because you have earned the Spirit, not because you've been good enough to get the Spirit, but because God has put His Spirit in us because of His grace. Because we are His children, because we've been welcomed into His family, He places the Spirit of His Son, Jesus Christ, into us. So we have the Spirit by God's grace, but we live by the Spirit, by our will. Now the active part of living out what is inside of us now becomes an act of our will. It's the outworking of our salvation. We have to will ourselves to live not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make almost every day, to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Now, of course, we don't do this alone, We've already gone through the book of Philippians, and we know in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we know this is not something we do on our own. We wouldn't be able to do this on our own. It is God working in us that helps us to be able to walk in the path he's laid out in front of us. It's a partnership. But we are called to engage our will here. Paul's message for us in Galatians is that we could choose to live by the flesh, Or we can choose to live by the Spirit. And Paul is urging us to live in the reality of who we are on the inside. We've received the free grace of God. The Spirit lives within us. So live by the Spirit. Now, while this is a partnership and we need to engage our will, what is produced from that willful decision is in line with what we believe about our ability ability to earn our salvation. It comes out of what we already believe about our salvation. If we believe we earn our salvation, then we follow our flesh. Because that's how we got saved, so that's how we'll continue. And look at what Paul says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So what happens when we believe that we've earned our salvation? Well, we live in the flesh and we see sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, these are very strong words from Paul. If we choose to live by our own flesh, this is what results. It results in destruction. However, if we, if we recognize that we are saved by grace... We're saved by grace that is given freely by God in Jesus Christ. If we recognize that we are saved by grace, if we recognize the Spirit is in us by God's grace, then we can live by the Spirit. And what's produced when we live by the Spirit is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Just think of these two lists. Think of these two lists. Why would anyone want to live by the flesh? The f- it doesn't look like a good list to me. Yet we choose the flesh every day, don't we? I choose the flesh often, and I live that way. Well, it's a struggle, of course. And I think when we struggle living in the, in the Spirit, where God is calling us to live by the Spirit, if we struggle that with that and we continue to go back to the flesh, we need to remember that we're not in this alone We're not in this alone. God, help us to live by your Spirit. Paul says it this way He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is discipleship, this is the regular outworking of our salvation. I tell you, folks, oftentimes when I, when I find that I'm struggling with something that's, that's fleshly or when I'm counseling someone who's struggling with something from the flesh, we'll crucify it again. We'll say we bring this, even this, to the cross. We bring it to the cross. Jesus, we laid at the cross again. Let it be crucified with you, Jesus. And now what do you have for me instead of this? Because this kind of fleshly living brings destruction, and I don't want that. I don't want it. And I'll say it out loud. I don't want it, Jesus. Let it be crucified in me. There's something powerful when we actually say this out loud. If I find myself being dishonest with people, Jesus, I I nail dishonesty to the cross. I nail it to the cross. Let it be crucified with you, Jesus. And let let me experience what it looks like to live by the Spirit. Jesus, what do you have for me? Instead of dishonesty, and oftentimes it's the exact opposite, I have honesty for you because that's what it looks like to live by the Spirit. You see, this is the outflow of our salvation. It's not that we're earning salvation in any way, but we're living true to what's inside of us. Either our salvation is found in being crucified with Christ and so we follow the Spirit or we believe our salvation is earned and we follow the flesh. Which is it for you? See, we are saved. We are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ alone. All through Galatians, Paul keeps calling out the truth in the Galatians and the the truth in us. By grace, we belong to God. By grace, we are his children. By grace, we have his spirit in us. By grace, we are heirs with his son, Jesus Christ. This is not of our own fleshly works, but of the work of Jesus Christ. Our flesh has been crucified to the cross. This is who you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you have the Spirit, so let us live by the Spirit. It always comes back to our identity. The Judaizers were attempting to make salvation all about the Galatians. It's about you and how you can earn this when it is all about Jesus. The Judaizer, Judaizer kind of thinking would lead the Galatians to living in the flesh, which, of course, leads to destruction. And this is why Paul comes across so harshly in this letter. It's a big deal. It's not just a little sexual immorality sin or a little drunkenness sin or a little taking your brother to court sin. Those things we can deal with because they're all under the cross. But when you remove the cross, when you take away the power of the cross, you have nothing left. So I wonder what Paul would have to say to us if he were to speak to us this morning. Did you know that the Judaizers are still here today? They look different, of course. We don't have anybody in here telling us that we need to be circumcised, thankfully. That's wonderful. But there are other things that people tell us that we need to do to be saved. Over and over again, you'll hear this. If you want to be saved, this is what you have to do. I don't know what it is for you. Think about it for yourself. Maybe someone's told you that in order to be saved, you need to do something other than just trust in Jesus. Or maybe you've said it to somebody else. If you really want to be saved, you better read your Bible. If you really want to be saved, you better go to the right church. If you really want to be saved, you better sing the right songs. If you want to be saved, you better look like me. The gospel is actually quite the opposite. And it's quite simple. It is by grace you have been saved. Not by any of your works. It's God's grace alone, made available to us by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have to receive it for sure. We have to receive it for sure. But you cannot earn it. So maybe ask yourself, what am I depending on for my salvation? Is there anything other than Jesus that I would answer that question with? What am I depending on for my salvation? Do you have to think the right things, behave the right way, or believe the right theology? That's not bad stuff, but none of it, none of it, none of it will actually save you. The only thing that saves is to simply believe, to simply trust, to simply give your life to Jesus. Now, if you're with me today and you've not trusted Jesus yet, the call is to put your trust in Jesus right now. Nothing else saves. Now, I'm talking to church folk, and that's great. You guys have probably heard this message before. Perhaps somebody is here today or somebody's watching online that has not gone to church all their lives, and maybe you have one up on everybody else, and that would be fine. But if you've not put your trust in Jesus yet, if you've thought that living a good life or giving money to the poor or doing nice things will actually earn your salvation, it does not. There's only one name under heaven by which men could be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Jesus yet, just turn to Jesus. He's listening. He's waiting for you. He has a gift for you. It's the gift of salvation that he wants to give to you. Trust in him. You can just turn to him right now and say, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust in you. There's no secret words. There's no membership fee. Just simply trust in Jesus. Receive the gracious gift of salvation by trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection. And you will become God's son or daughter by his grace. You will receive the love of your heavenly father. God will put his spirit in you and you will belong to him. And then it's out of the outflow of that salvation that we will begin to live by His Spirit. We don't live by His Spirit by earning it, but it's out of the outflow of our salvation. What a freeing message that is. Now, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, He met with His closest friends and He had supper. We call it the Last Supper, the communion celebration and it's where Jesus told the disciples that he was about to go and he was, he was going to die on the cross for them. And Jesus held up the bread and he said, this is my body that is going to be broken for you. And he, and he held up the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is going to be poured out for you so that you can be saved. And then Jesus said, every time you get together, remember this, this, remember this, that I'm, go- I'm about to go and die on the cross for you that this is the way that you find salvation, by my death on the cross, by my resurrection, which is victory over death. That's how you find salvation. Remember this every time you get together. Jesus knew that all kinds of other things would get added to the gospel. And he said, remember this simple act of sacrifice, because this is what it's all about. You cannot take the cross out of Christianity. You cannot take the cross out of the salvation of God. You can't remove it. It's a a nasty thing sometimes to look at and to think about, that God himself died on a cross, a very gruesome and bloody death. But you can't take the cross out, because without the cross there is no salvation at all. There's no salvation. And so Jesus says, remember this. Every time you get together, remember it. Let's not forget just how simple the gospel really is. It's all about Jesus' death on the cross, that he died for us so that we could be saved. What do we got for questions? We've got two questions. We'll see what they are. Going to pop them up there. All kinds of interesting things we could have as questions today, hey? All right. From what I can see, trying hard to follow the law and living on my own strength seems to look outwardly similar to living free in salvation, what are some subtle ways that they actually look different outwardly? What are ways it looks different internally?
0: That's that's a question.
1: Whew. That's a really great question, right? So this is a good. So here here's the things. So Amy's got a great answer for this. She'll give it to you in just a second.
0: <laughs> okay. But okay. Uh,
1: here's uh, I'm just giving you extra time to think. Okay. Here's, here's something you, you may, nobody else around you may know if they're just kind of um, acquaintances of yours. But if you're in community with people, they might know. So if you're living your faith out with other people, if you're journeying together, someone's standing next to you, and they're able to just kind of saunter over to you for a moment, and say, hey, Greg, listen, I don't know but it seems like maybe this is a thing that you need to deal with, right? They're able to speak into my life. If I've got brothers and sisters that, are, that I'm close to that can speak into my life in community, they'll be able to point some of this stuff out for me. As well, you, it's your role to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, is there anything in me where I'm relying on the flesh, where I'm not, I'm trying to, to perform, I'm trying to control I'm trying to live in a way that's not living by the Spirit. Is there anything in me that's like that? And listen. Listen to the voice of God as he speaks to you through this. So those two things, I think, are really key. Living in community and asking Jesus. Huge. Look and now you for just the— just
0: answered the question. For the no, question. Um, yeah, I guess it's pretty similar, but maybe just in a different way of looking at it, is on to the second part first. What are ways it looks differently internally? Is— is being aware of what's driving it, and that takes time actually to sit down and think about it. It's like, okay, at the root of this, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And sometimes, right? It, oh, I want people to like me, or I want God to like me. I, you know, like once we get down to the internal. And other times, it's like, man because I know God loves me so much and wants me to show love to other people that now I'm acting in that way. That it is. It it takes time, self-awareness, self-reflection. And then, yeah, what are some of the subtle ways that they actually look different outwardly? I mean, they're subtle because they're really subtle, that they can look really, really similar. And yet, I think, Greg, what you said, talked about in community, is people can pick things up, you know, through how we're saying, how we're acting, right? Whether or not they know us really well, people can kind of get a sense from us if we're doing it out of striving or we're trying to get significance from it or if we're trying to, you know, make sure everyone's happy with us, that people pick up on those things even if our actions look exactly the same. And so I—that does, that doesn't really answer the question, but it's a subtle way that that we all know. We've all been in those things where it's like, "Man, what this person is doing is really good," but there's but there's something else that's also attached to it. Yeah. Yes, Dave.
1: So nobody from home is going to be able to hear so you. So
0: you say the question, and I will. Just
1: just a comment in a self-righteous community, or where we're not safe to be vulnerable. Mm. We're in a grace community where we all recognize a brokenness. There's a freedom to be
0: vulnerable with the, the brokenness that we share. And then first uh, John one nine, confess your sins one to another soul you may be healed. There's a whole another wholeness mm. that comes because it's safe to be vulnerable. I, I wonder if that's yeah I think that would look different. Yeah that's a great so wh- Pharaoh, you said they would have heard that online, picked up? Yeah. So fabulous, right? In a self-righteous thing, you you can't, in a self-righteous culture, you can't show your brokenness. You can't show the places you're struggling. But in a grace-filled place, you can be vulnerable. You can be open. And you're right. That is a subtle way that it would look different, that there's space to come and say, man, I am not okay, or this is what's going on.
1: So find a grace-filled place. I think would be really good. So if you're not currently experiencing that somewhere, find it somewhere, because that's how iron sharpens iron and how we're able to confess our sins one to another. Um, It's by living in that grace-filled space. That's a good point, Dave. Yeah, it's excellent. Okay, so we'll go on to the next question here, too. What's question number two?
0: I was taught as a young child that the four spiritual laws were the way to salvation. More specifically, that the confession of sin was the point in which salvation would happen. Where does that, the confession of sins, fit into what you're saying about salvation being a gift?
1: Yeah, it's great. Do you have an answer for that?
0: I mean, I, I, I have some scriptures that seemed, right, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus mm-hmm. is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yep. That's in Romans 10. It also talks about no that's not in Romans 10. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is in Romans yep. 10. There's also a thing everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yep. So, I mean if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's implications into the, in that that I think deal with the confession of sin, that deal with recognizing that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he is Lord of your life, that it is kind of all mixed in there. And he died for our sins. Yeah.
1: I think I think one of the problems that we have sometimes is that we limit ourselves when we when we call salvation a point in time. Yeah. Right. So when what I'm talking about today in Galatians about salvation, that is the life-death type thing, right? It's that space of justification. Right. So in your in your initial interaction with Jesus, there is this moment where you give your life to Jesus and you're saved. Right? Like the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in, in paradise. The thief on the cross actually never, con- he doesn't do the four spiritual laws. He doesn't walk through the ABCs of, of coming to Christ. He just, like, Jesus, remember me. That's what he says, right? Jesus, he's just putting his trust in Jesus. And Jesus, is like, oh, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And yet we see the power of confession. We see the power of deeper life, walking through some of those type of things. And so when we say salvation, sometimes we jumble in a lot of stuff, and we jumble sanctification into salvation. And sanctification is the walking out of our faith, right? It's what happens tomorrow and the day after. And so that's—when we're talking about salvation, sometimes we jumble it all together, and that's okay, too— Right? Because the fullness of what we receive in Christ is not just that we're saved and going to heaven, but also that we get to live in freedom, we get to live by the power of the Spirit, we get to be able to go on mission with Jesus, we get to experience the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and all the stuff. All of that can kind of be jumbled in together when we talk about salvation. So I think that's, you know, the four spiritual laws and those type of things, it kind of brings a lot of stuff all together talking about all that we experience through Jesus Christ. So hopefully that kind of answers that question. Anything else you want to add?
0: No, no, no. You answered okay. that significantly better than okay. I did. So <laughs> we'll good. go with Greg's answer. It's
1: good, it's good, good. Okay. All right. So um, we're going to do our benediction now. So why don't you guys stand? And I, I love how— Have you been noticing how at the end of each of these books, the main themes that Paul is addressing through the books— Um, Come up again and again in the benediction space. Um, It's so cool. So, in Galatians, we've learned about um, God's grace through Jesus Christ. We've learned about how the Spirit lives in us. Uh, It's a wonderful thing. Um, And here's what Paul's benediction is in Galatians, which is right on board with that. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Simple, simple benediction. Simple benediction. So God, we just uh, we just lean into what you have for us this week. No condemnation today, Lord, for for uh, anything that we've been doing when we've lived by the flesh. Uh, We come back into right alignment with you, Jesus Christ, and we want to live by the Spirit. God, if there's any way in us that is not right, if we've been agreeing with the Judaizers that there's something else that's needed for salvation, Lord, we just pray that you would do a work in us to, to crucify that. You make us aware of that through our community, through your Spirit. Make us aware of anything in us, Lord, that is not living rightly with you. And help us to live by your spirit. Oh, help us, Jesus, to live by your spirit that we would know the free grace of salvation and that we'd walk it out. We'd walk it out. So we love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for you and your presence in our lives. Uh, We just give you all the honor and the glory and praise and pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.
0: Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.BeaverLodgeAllianceChurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at BeaverLodgeAllianceChurch.com We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.